This is the Tao of Christ, and I'm Marshall Davis. In this podcast, I explore the mystical roots of Christianity, which Jesus called the Kingdom of God, which church historian Evelyn Underhill called the Unit of Life, and which Richard Rohr calls the Universal Christ, and which I refer to as Christian non-duality, unitive awareness, or union with God. This is the Tao of Christ. Good afternoon, this is Marshall Davis. Today I'm going to talk about self-inquiry, but I'm going to do it in the context of a poem that Lewis Carroll wrote in the 19th century called The Hunting of the Snark. If you are a spiritually inclined person, you are probably familiar with various scriptures, at least your own, and hopefully those of other spiritual traditions as well. You would know the Bible, including the Old Testament that Jews call the Tanakh and the and the Christian New Testament, the sutras of Buddhism, the Vedas, the Upanishads, and the Gita of Hinduism, the Tao Te Ching of Taoism, the Quran of Islam, and so forth. So many scriptures, so little time. But you may never have heard of the hunting of the snark. When it comes to the practice of self-inquiry, this might be the most interesting of texts. It's not scripture, of course, which is a good thing. You know, we tend to approach scripture so seriously, looking for answers to ultimate questions in its pages. We make the spiritual quest into such a, a solemn endeavor. This text, on the other hand, is not serious at all. It is a poem written by Lewis Carroll and published in 1876. It is often characterized as a nonsense poem. It bears a resemblance to a poem that you might be familiar with, Jabberwocky, in his children's novel Through the Looking Glass. In fact, a couple of the same characters appear in both, including the Bandersnatch and the Jub-Jub Bird. But the hunting of the snark has a decidedly spiritual dimension that's underlying the fantasy. I think that this intention is evidenced by the fact that Carroll included a religious tract that he wrote, an Easter greeting to every child who loves Alice, with copies of the first edition of the poem. This poem has been interpreted by many to be an allegory the spiritual quest. Now, I do not pretend to know the meaning of it. Lewis Carroll often said he did not know the meaning of it. I think it likely comes from a deeper wisdom that even he was aware of. But in this humorous poem, I find parallels to the spiritual practice called self-inquiry. It is about a group of ten people, all of whom are identified by their occupations, but none of their occupations really fit. For example, the baker can only bake wedding cake, and the butcher can only kill beavers. Unfortunately, there was one on board the ship that they were traveling on, and he became very nervous at hearing about this. But later on, he became best friends with the butcher. The seekers' names, at least their, their occupations, all start with the letter B like barrister, banker, broker, and billiard marker, they all set out in a ship in search of the fabled snark. 
a creature that's never identified. To help them in their quest, the bellman, who was also the captain, had brought with him a map, which was completely blank. He had bought a large map representing the sea, without the least visage of land, and the crew were much pleased when they found it to be a map they could all understand. What's the good of Mercator's north poles and equators, tropic zones and meridian lines? So the bellman would cry, and the crew would reply, they are merely conventional signs. Other maps are such shapes, with their islands and capes. But we've got our brave captain to thank, so the crew would protest, that he's bought us the best, a perfect and absolute blank. This was charming, no doubt, but they shortly found out that the captain they trusted so well had only one notion for crossing the ocean, and that was to tingle his bell. Now that sounds a lot like spiritual practice to me, complete with the bell. And the map bears a song resemblance to the wayless way, the gateless gate. Religions are maps, but the way has no map. There's nowhere to go and no way to get there. And if by grace you do happen to get there, you will instantly disappear. For you see, the snark is in fact a boojum, as the baker explains. But, O oh, Beamish Nephew, beware of the day, if your snark be a boojum, for then you will softly and suddenly vanish away, and never be met with again. This proclamation is mentioned three times in the poem, making it clear that this is the main point of the work. At one point, the baker says, But if ever I meet with a boojum, that day, in a moment of this I am sure, I shall softly and suddenly vanish away, and the notion I cannot endure. The end of the poem, this is exactly what happens to the baker. In fact, the baker is the most interesting of all of the characters. At the beginning of the poem, he is introduced as all of the characters that are boring the ship are, are introduced, and he is introduced as the most forgetful of them all. It reads, there was one who was famed for the number of things he forgot when he entered the ship. His umbrella, his watch, all his jewels and rings, and the clothes he had bought for the trip. He had forty-two boxes all carefully packed, with his name painted clearly on each. But since he omitted to mention the fact, they were all left behind on the beach. The loss of his clothes hardly mattered, because he had seven coats on when he came, with three pair of boots, but the worst of it was, he had wholly forgotten his name. And it goes on. This is the fun part. He would answer to high, or to any loud cry, such as fry me, or fritter my wig, to what you may call him, or what was his name, but especially thingamajig. While for those who preferred a more forcible word, he had different names from these. His intimate friends called him Candle Ends, and his enemies Toasted Cheese. His form is ungainly, his intellect small, so the bellman would often remark. But his courage is perfect, and that, after all, is a thing that one needs with a snark. And yet, it is he, perhaps because of his self 
forgetfulness, his inability to keep hold of himself as a separate self with a name, he's the one that finds the snark, which does turn out to be a Bujum. After many months of sailing, they come to land and they disembark and they search, and after a while the baker was on top of a crag looking into a chasm, into the void, you might say, and the poem ends this way. It's a snark was the sound that first came to their ears and seemed almost too good to be true, then followed a torrent of laughter and cheers, then the ominous words, it's a boo, then silence, some fancy they heard in the air, a weary and wandering sigh that sounded like jum, but the others declare it was only a breeze that went by. They hunted till darkness came on, but they found not a button or feather or mark by which they could tell that they had stood on the spot where the baker had met with the snark. In the midst of the word he was trying to say, in the midst of his laughter and glee, he had softly and suddenly vanished away, for the snark was a boojum, you see. In my reading of the poem, the snark is the self. You know, this seems clear to me, especially from one of the sections, which is a dream that the barrister had about a snark. And in his dream, the snark is a defense attorney in a courtroom. He dreamed that he stood in a shadowy court with a snark with a glass in its eye, dressed in gown, bands, and wig, was defending a pig on the charge of deserting its sty. The snark here in the courtroom is very good at the use of words and logic and commenting on every part of the story. A very convincing and persistent fellow, very much like the self. Furthermore, he would not give up, even after the verdict is given, right up to the end of the dream when the bellman rang a bell and the barrister woke up from the dream. This is about spiritual awakening. Even if this identification of the snark with the self is not what Lewis Carroll intentionally had in mind when he wrote the poem, I still think it's a good illustration of the spiritual practice that we call self-inquiry. We go in search of the self. And if we are blessed to actually discover this elusive, or should I say illusory creature, we will softly and suddenly vanish away and the quest ends. The self turns out to be no self. It is in fact a boojum, you see, and we immediately vanish away. That's what I'm going to do right now. Grace and peace to you. That is the Tao of Christ for today. Thank you for listening. You can access other episodes of this podcast at thedowofchrist.com. You can also find these podcasts in video format at my YouTube channel at christiannonduality.net. My blog, Spiritual Reflections, can be found at marshalldavis.us. There you will also find a link to my books and my email address. Join me next time for another episode of The Tao of Christ.